0: I trust that uh, you have been reading Hebrews 11 on a daily basis, of course, right? That, that is our series text. <laughs> it's only been a couple of weeks. Come on. <laughs> of course you remember. Hey, are you familiar with the name Iditarod? Yes. Know what the Iditarod is? World-famous you know, sled dog race in, uh, in Alaska. It's also known as the last great race by many who, uh, who do it. And each year in early March... There are 60 sled drivers, known as mushers, and their team of dogs, they race from Anchorage to Nome. It's about 1,100 miles. They go through brutal terrain, and they face temps sometimes as low as 60 below zero. And they do this for 10 to 15 days. Sound like a lot of fun? <laughs> there's, there's an interesting story behind the race I was, I was reading about this week. In, in 1925... Hundreds of children in Nome had been exposed to diphtheria. And in those days, children commonly died from the disease because widespread vaccinations were, were not a thing yet. They hadn't been introduced. And the only one that was known to combat diphtheria was, was far away in Anchorage. And so to get the serum to Nome as quickly as they could... Teams of riders and their dogs, strategically placed along this path between the two cities, carried the serum to Nome in relay fashion. More than 150 dogs and 20 drivers were involved in the heroic efforts, which became called the Great Race of Mercy. They carried 300,000 units of the life-saving serum across the Alaskan countryside, and they arrived in Nome in only 127 hours. And that's a record I read that has yet to be broken. By combining the, uh, the right medicine with radical effort, hundreds of lives were saved. The Iditarod has an amazing origin. <clears throat> Today, it has become a sporting event the teams travel a very similar route. There are, there are two routes. One of them is the original. But the motivation for winning the race is different. They're not racing to save lives anymore. They're racing for notoriety and for money. This year's winner took home $70,000. The second place winner took home $63,000. Third place took home $58,000. Make you want to run a sled through Alaska next March when they, when they get this race going? Well, here's the thing. I, I, I got to thinking, you know, if we're not intentional as the people of God in this world, the church of Jesus in this world, the same could be said of us. What was once a life-saving mission can become much less than that. Jesus told his followers... You remember this from our study in Acts, that they would receive the gift from God, from the Father, which we know to be the Holy Spirit, who would then empower them to be his witnesses, Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, to the ends of the earth. And so as a church, I think it's always good for us to ask the question Are we doing more than simply gathering people and going through the motions of Christian discipleship? Are we just kind of living a nice life together? Or are we motivated by a sense of urgency? By the truth that we have been given a life-giving message. That's the mission. And the race is on. And we're a part of it as the people of God. And at the heart of all that we do, is that five-letter word that we've just sung about, that word, faith. Faith is what God has called us to. Faith is what establishes our relationship with God on a daily basis. Hebrews 11 starts with these three verses. Rachel, can we put that first slide up? Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is the unseen. God dwells in, in the unseen because faith is all about trusting in the character or the nature of the object in which we put our faith. And we've talked about this. God calls us to trust him because he never fails. This is what the ancients were commended for. And we know that the ancients is a reference to those people in the Old Testament who walked with God long before Jesus came to earth. And remember, the author of, of Hebrews begins the letter, and we know these words too, that Jesus is the divine radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. And then chapter 11, which is our text, is filled with the names of those who put their faith in God. They put their faith in Him. Remember, the word means trust, believe. To have faith in God is to have trust in God, to believe in God. And they did that. And when they put their faith in God, they were believing in Him who had revealed Himself, but had yet to reveal Himself in Jesus. You remember the final verse of chapter 11? We we looked at that in our first week together. Rachel, these were all commended. These saints, these ancients, they were all commended for their faith, their belief in God, their trust in God, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. It was Jesus, the something better, that sealed the deal for their faith before the cross and for our faith after the cross, they walked with him. They honored him by trusting him and they didn't have Jesus as the supreme revelation of who God is. And as I confessed earlier on one Sunday, I may be reading too much into these words, but I think there is a bit of an edge and a challenge to his words. Something like, if they could do it without Jesus as their example, then what is our excuse? for not walking faithfully with God. We have two additional benefits in our knowledge of Jesus. First, we understand that He's the one that makes us right with God. There's nothing that we can do apart from putting our faith in Christ and His atoning work on the cross that grants us relationship with God. And second, we have the marvelous revelation of God's character known more perfectly in the person of Jesus. And Jesus reveals clearly to us that a life of faith, trusting in the good and perfect character of God, is the life that pleases Him. And that leads us to the key verse in this entire chapter, that without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And, and remember we've said that that is, in a sense, it's kind of the subjective becoming the objective that when you are willing to step out and to trust, suddenly the reality of God dawns on your life. So allow me to use my spiritual gift of pointing out the obvious to say that pleasing God ought to be the highest priority of the people of God. And there are a couple of reasons for that. First, because he's God. And it's not a bad idea to be on his good side. Would you agree? Second, why would we not want to live to please the one who has done abundantly more than we could ever deserve through his son's sacrifice on the cross? Amen? Amen. That is our motivation. So, three Sundays ago, we considered the examples of Abel and Enoch and discovered that faith is demonstrated in the posture of one's heart in response to what God desires. The heart of faith says, Okay. The heart of faith says, Thy will be done. I don't get this, but you're God and I'm not, and therefore it is your will that I'm interested in. Abel got that. Cain did not. Enoch got it too. And God was so pleased that he took Enoch. Now, there is a reward. Can you imagine? So this morning, let's consider another lesson about faith from the example of Abraham. He is one of the ancients referenced in Hebrews 11, and it's one that I think leads us nicely into our celebration of of communion together. So let's stand together and read a little bit about Abraham. Let's read together. By faith... whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Life of faith. God's call to Abraham at the time, Abram, when he called him. Rachel, can we put our, our question up there? I want you to just talk with the neighbor for a couple of minutes about this. What did it require of Abram, physically and emotionally, for him to make his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country? That's what the writer of Hebrews just said. That he, was, he was obedient to God, he packed up and away he went, didn't know where he was going, lived in tents like a stranger in a foreign country. What did that require of Abraham? Yes, it required faith. But put put some feet on that. What else? What else? Talk about that. Practically speaking, what what were some of his concerns and doubts? What would be your concerns and doubts? Well, there's a lot of buzzing in here. I'm just not sure you're talking about the question. What do you think? Yeah, what's for lunch, right? How about some feedback? Who who wants to to share? What do you think? What was involved? Physically, emotionally. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably what his family thought. Neighbors, you know, people who knew him. For sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The word from the Lord was the spiritual. That evidently was very clear because he did it. But how about the emotions and some of the spiritual stuff that followed? Yeah, good, good observation. A whole lot like Noah, who we didn't read about, who's just in a couple of verses right before this. Uh, same thing. What kind of mocking and 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 teasing and abuse did they did they take for this kind of thing? And I think we can easily write that kind of thing off, but yet it. I don't think that it makes. I don't think it makes the faith any less when a person has to really struggle with, wow, this is significant. Which is probably, can I just throw a card on the table and say, that's probably not what we do well in these days when we make the gospel something like, just ask Jesus into your life and he'll be your best friend and all your problems will be solved. Are you kidding? I mean, I think we probably ought to be challenging people to count the cost. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So true. He certainly became wealthy. There's reason to think because of the region that he came from that he may have been wealthy as he started off. But yeah, we don't we don't know. We don't know if she, Yeah, I couldn't bring it all. There you go. Atlas fan Lines? Yeah. So true. And the who knows where part, Karen. He didn't know where. Can you imagine? I mean, there's a dynamic we don't think much about. Sarah's thinking, what is wrong with you? It's so true. Complete abandonment. Complete abandonment. And, and wouldn't you agree that, that, that most of us, well, this is probably not fair. I have thought this before. You can slip the shoe on if it fits. Someone comes to me with a story of God prompting them to do something that I think is just way outside of the box. And my response is not, that's awesome. My response is, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this just the dynamics. I'm, thank you. Good stuff. I mean, I, I think it's worth wrestling and thinking about those things because it, it brings the story to life. <clears throat> it, the words have to come off of the page so that we realize these folks were as human as you and me. <clears throat> they had the same kinds of concerns Same kinds of worries, same kinds of of doubts. So Genesis 12 gives us a little bit more on the description of Abram leaving his land because the Lord said to him, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. And some of those things have made it into your comments this morning. God called Abram to leave his country his people, and his immediate family. And in order for Abram to to demonstrate belief in God, as you have said, he had to physically separate himself from everything that he knew. So what is that about? Most of the scholarly opinions that you read about this story feel that, that this was a necessary separation from a pagan culture in which Abraham lived. And I think that makes perfect sense. He, he lived in Ur the Chaldees, vicinity of modern-day Iraq, and the book of Joshua tells us that Abram's father, Terah, was an idol worshiper. So it was, as we know, a culture of polytheism, worship of multiple gods. More than likely, Abram was polytheistic too. He was an idol worshiper. And, and it would seem that in order for Abram to know Yahweh and distinguish him from the gods of the cultural pantheon where he lived, he would need to leave the country. That, I think, makes sense. But I'm suspicious that, that there's something more that's going on here. I think it's interesting that, that God instructed him to leave his country, his people, his father's household. Now, I may be making too much of this. I'm just going to admit it right up front. I don't want to spiritualize texts that should not be spiritualized. But I, I, think, I think there is something here in that description that, that makes sense for us. Because when Abraham left his country, wouldn't he by default be leaving his people and leaving his father's household? I mean, that's where they lived, and he was leaving the country where they lived. Yeah? No? That doesn't make sense? That does make sense. So, so what's going on? I think there was an enormous impact upon Abram emotionally, and I I think it's here that there is application for us, those of us who are living thousands of years later. You know, for most of us, God has not called us physically... To leave the country, at least not yet, right? Um, how many of you have prayed, Lord, anywhere but Africa? Anywhere but Africa, you know. You know, my prayer is anywhere but the jungles of Indonesia, Lord. Anywhere, I'll take Africa, just don't send me to the jungles of Indonesia. But but it seems to me that that these three things that the country, the people, and the father's household represent some possibilities for us that, that we need to to wrestle with. So let me just suggest some things. It's just been kind of bumping around in my head all week long as I've thought about these. And they're not necessarily isolated from one another. I kind of see them uh, working together or overlapping. But I'm going to just leave you to walk out of here today and and keep wrestling with what God may want you to do with this in your own life. First, as I mentioned, the call for Abram to leave his country was certainly about a departure from false gods. And I, I, think, I think that's certain. I think it has a huge application for us as well. We, we live in a society where there are many things that are worshipped other than our God, God. <clears throat> We just may be a little bit more sophisticated about it. You know we don 't necessarily make them out of wood and stone and set them up in our yard or in our house for places of worship but But we have gods that are near and dear to us and 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 the one that that has been in my head throughout this week as I think about leaving the country, what does that mean? It seems to me <clears throat> that that couched in the idea of one's country. Is the idea of security. To leave one's country is to trust God to take care of me in a strange place. It seems that we have been enormously blessed in this country in which we live, we've lived in a very secure place. Without a doubt, you know, God has has blessed us with that. And yet in these days there is much unrest, is there not? About the growing threats of, of ISIS to our to our personal security, both as individuals and and collectively as, as a country. How do we respond? How do I respond, how do you respond when you hear news of another bombing? What goes on in our hearts? Now, I just need to say that I think that there will always be a difference between the way countries, i.e. governments, make decisions in terms of national security versus the way that perhaps God's people make decisions about their own personal security. Countries seek to secure themselves against those who are threats. I get that. But ask yourself this question, do God's people have threats? Do God's people have enemies that somehow have slipped in under the radar of our sovereign God? Paul's pretty clear when he says to the Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is always against principalities and powers and authorities in the high Places. And people, and this is really uncomfortable, but I'm going to say that people, no matter how bad their behavior, are loved by God. Jesus died for Isis. And let's be honest, that just grates against our hearts. Because they don't deserve his mercy. And neither do we. And so, when we think in terms of of leaving our country, I think perhaps the Spirit of God is, is calling us as individuals to look inside and to listen quietly and to ask honest questions about those things for which we find ourselves... Worshiping in terms of our personal security. Jesus broke so many of the cultural norms of his day when he reached out to people like prostitutes and Samaritans and lepers and tax collectors. How about us? Can I just be political for a moment? I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. And you know I'm never political. But here's one that I have thought a ton about. And I understand how complicated it is. But it's the topic of illegal immigration. A nation obviously has to struggle with that. What do you do with folks who are illegal? What do you do with folks who are coming across your borders? You know, do you build a bigger, higher, longer wall? Do you do you bring in security forces? Those are the kinds of decisions that governments have to make. I get that. But here's what I don't understand is that in some circles when I hear conversations among those who identify themselves as followers of Jesus, I hear things that are said that are very uncharitable about the people who are crossing the borders illegally. And last I checked, they're human beings they are human beings that are living in a crap hole called Mexico that is filled with corruption and pain and nasty stuff. Am I saying open the borders to them? I'm not. But here's what I am saying. That while governments make their decisions for the good of the collective people, may the people of God, may the followers of Jesus, speak differently and act differently and sacrifice as Jesus sacrificed for us for the sake of those who hurt, regardless of where they're coming from, regardless of their skin color, regardless of what they can offer us or not. Is that okay? Okay, it's all the more political I'm going to get, folks. It makes me think of a second challenge in God's call to Abram. Abram was called to leave his people and To leave his people was to leave those who were like him, those who thought like him, those who who shared his cultural norms and traditions and and worshipped the same gods. And and that makes me think that, that personal comfort can be another god that perhaps the Spirit is calling us to forsake. You know, as humans, we're much more comfortable with people who are like us. And, and we're, we're, we're easily threatened by those who are different. It's hard to find justification, though, in the life of Jesus for a life of, of personal comfort. We struggle desperately. I struggle desperately between wants and needs. God has promised to provide our needs. And, and I think, truth be told, we probably need... A whole lot less sometimes than what we think. And so again, my hope is, is that we'll, we'll open our, our heart, open our, our spiritual ears to, to what God may be saying to us in terms of personal comfort and you know, convenience and ease and all the things that, that go along with that. My brothers and sisters, let's die in the saddle. Because we're going to die anyway. And I don't think any of us, if we're honest, wants to enter heaven and hear those words, whoa, way to live a comfortable life. No. Well done, good and faithful servant. One who gives himself for the sake of others. And of course, bondservant to Jesus means one that has been set free from a life to self to a life lived for the sake of our Lord. Giving ourselves away for the sake of others and their personal comfort. The third thing that Abram was told to leave was his father's household. Man, this one just kind of rocks my world. You know, in that culture, children stayed Close to their parents, they oftentimes you know that the, the, the father 's house expanded to include the son and his new wife and and then the next son and his new wife and and then the grandkids and you know I, I mean it was it was much more of, of a commune commune, if you will. Um, the family network was really important, not only was it physical support in, in the labors of life, such as, you know, work in the fields, the farm, you know, with the animals, but it was also, it was also a source of identity. And we see this a lot in the scriptures. A, a person was known and identified according to their father. I'm sorry, ladies, it was a patriarchal culture. So, you know, this father was, you know, had, had this son and this son had this son, and, you know, you've, you read those genealogies, and and, and that's what's going on there. They're being identified according to who they belong to, who they've come from. I think, I think personal identity is possibly another God that we are called to forsake. There's no doubt that our family of origin shapes us. For some of us, our family of origin has shaped us in, in ways that are, are, are healthier in terms of, of how, we, how we see ourselves. For some, we're struggling with families of origin that, that did a lot of damage. And and we're forever searching for that relationship with dad or mom or siblings that, that never happened in our family of origin. Families can do a lot of good and families can do a lot of damage. And I hear Jesus' words to his followers unless you hate father, mother, sister, brother, you cannot be my follower. Does he really want us to hate those people? Oh, I don't think so. But he wants us as his followers to recognize that we have been adopted into the family of God. There is no better identity. So depending on what we've taken away from our family of origin, whether it's a pretty healthy sense of self, being a member of the family of God reminds us that regardless of how healthy or well-off or having it together we have perceived ourselves to be, we need a Savior. And to be a member of that family is ultimate personal identity. For those who find themselves struggling and suffering and, and hurting because of broken family, great news, you, are a child of the living God. That's the only way that I can make sense of Jesus' words about hatred of our nuclear families, our families of origin. He's saying there is an ultimate family that you become a part of as a child of God, and that family takes priority over anything that has been your experience. Does that ring true? Leave your father's household. Our value system as children of God becomes the value system of God. God's family is called to live their lives according to his value system. That may be consistent with our family of origin. It may not. But that's what we're called to. To identify ourselves as children of the living God. And so, my brothers and sisters, as promised, I'm just going to leave you to wrestle with this. <laughs> the temptation is to, you know, give you all of my lists and the ways that I think you should apply these to your life because then you'll be more like me. If you're more like me, then I'll feel really good about myself as your pastor. <laughs> Wasn't there something in here about personal security? And, yeah. So, we won't go there. But may God remind us as we come to this table this morning, wow, a table of celebration of God's grace, a table that, that fits us for everything that God calls us to in life, calling us to, to leave the idols of security in our lives, Whatever forms those might take. To call us to to leave the idols of personal comfort and their various forms. To, To leave the idol of self identity. Thinking about myself, be it too much or too little, to start thinking more about myself as a child of the living God. Come to the table this morning. And be reminded of the amazing grace of God that has brought about this possibility in our lives. Amen.